So I have a unique background where I spent part of my life in the Western culture. I was born in Massachusetts, but at the same time, my family moved back to South Korea, and I spent a good number of years in South Korea um, as a child. And so I've been exposed to the Western culture as well as the Eastern culture. And so if someone asks me the question, what's the biggest difference between the Western culture and the Eastern culture, I would say honor. Honor is the biggest difference between the Western and Eastern culture. Um, In the Eastern culture, honor is something that's very important and significant. You have to act a certain way, talk a certain way in front of people to show your respect, especially if you are on the younger side or or if someone is in a higher position than than you, you kind of uh, show uh, this level of respect to them. Uh, A lot of times uh, when you get a bad grade uh, uh, from school, you would be afraid that you would be dishonoring your parents. So uh, there's a lot of honor and shame that's involved with that culture. But in the Western culture, I feel like honor is not something that we really struggle with. We call everyone by their first name. Uh, Everyone is is, is friends, buddies. Uh, We don't care about what other people really think of of us. Uh, We are pretty confident in ourselves, so we can say what we want to say, do what we want to do, and other people are supposed to understand who you are and accept you as, as who you are, and I think um, in different cultures, there are pros and cons um, in different ways. I think for the, the Eastern culture, especially when you are elevating honor to that place, there's definitely this, this uh, tension that exists between relationships, this hierarchy that exists between relationships. So if you ask a lot of people coming from the West, uh, Eastern culture, ask about their relationship with their father or mother, they would say, well, it's pretty scary. Right? There's definitely this, this distance between the father and mother. And then for people in the Western culture, they would probably say, no, we're best buddies. Like, there's, we're in the same playing field. There's no kind of you know, uh, sense of distance. We are very personal. At the same time, we also see that there's a lack of honor in different relationships. Uh, nowadays, there's a lack of honor within the education system. Uh, students not really honoring their teachers. A lot of times, teachers not honoring their students. Uh, There's a lack of honor um, a lot of times within the household, children not really honoring their parents. But if you look at the Bible, the Bible makes a big deal out of honor. Honor is a very important thing when it comes to a healthy uh, Christian life. In Ephesians 6-2, Paul, he quotes from the Ten Commandments, and he says, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say honor your father and mother if if they're worthy of honor, he simply says, honor your father and mother. Mother. First Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone, honor the emperor. So even an emperor who is not really a Christian, who doesn't follow the Christian values, you still honor that person because that person is in a position where he received his authority from God. First Peter 3.7, Peter says, husbands, honor wives as a weaker vessel, meaning that you should treasure your wife and protect your wife and that's how you honor your wife hebrews 13 4 says let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled in other words there's a level of honor and respect that should exist within the covenant of marriage and just in case you're wondering how far do i take this idea of honor in my relationships it says in romans 12 10 within the context of the church especially love one another with brotherly affection, out to one another in showing honor. 
Now, we have some highly competitive people uh, in this room. Uh, if you play a sport, if you play games, you get all fired up. And what the Bible says is that's, that's really good to have a competitive spirit. But if you want to outdo someone, if you want to be better than someone, be better uh, at honoring other individuals. Like, you should outdo others when it comes to showing honor. That's how important honor is when it comes to the Christian life. And that's really the topic of that, that Paul is dealing with in today's passage. You know, so far, Paul, he's been talking about the church, the blueprint for a gospel-centered church. He talked about what's important for a local church. The gospel is important. Worship is important. God, he has to be at the center of everything. And then he talks about how the church should function together as, as, as a unit. There are different offices, different roles that exist within the church. And starting from today in chapter 5, he begins to address how we ought to relate to one another as a church. So that's the question that we want to address today. How should we treat one another in the local church? And the first thing that Paul says is this. Treat one another with honor as family. Treat one another with honor as family. The church is not just a building. It's not just a club. It's, it's not just uh, an organization. It's, it's a family. That's, this is something that Paul already addressed in chapter 3. He said that the church of the living God is the household of God, which is also the pillar of truth. And that's the idea that he presents in verse 1 and 2. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So notice the relationship that, that he wants us to have with other believers is the relationship that would exist within a family. Why? Because church is family. Notice that within this family, there are people in different age groups. And that makes sense because it would be really, really weird if a family was made up with people that, that are all, all in the same age group. They, they think alike, they act alike. I mean, that would be a very weird family. A family is a family because you have all these different people in different age groups who think differently, yet they're loving each other, they're caring for each other, they're working as a unit in the same way. I think church should be that type of family. Like, we shouldn't isolate different age groups, like a school. Like, as much as I love school, like, I think it's really beneficial for our education. You know, there are some important life lessons that you'll never learn at school. You'll only learn those things at the dinner table within the context of a family. This is one reason why, by the way, one year ago, we made a big decision to, to bring in the youth to our worship service. You know, a lot of people would say, well, it's inconvenient, I feel uncomfortable, like, our younger ones are saying, well, these adults are scary, the adults are saying, well, like, you know, I can't stand these younger ones, but notice that this is what family is all about. If we don't communicate intergenerationally, that's when the church becomes unhealthy. You think about an unhealthy family. It's when the parents are not communicating with the children and the children are not responding to the parents, that there is, there's this gap between generations. And what we want to do is we want to break that trend. We want to realize that it is actually a good thing to have people of all ages. And that also means you can connect with people in different age groups. Learn from those people. If someone is younger than you, love on those people. That's the call that, that, that the Bible places on our life. And Paul is speaking from the heart here because in Romans 16, as he's concluding his letter to the Christians in Rome, he 
gives this long list of believers that he wants them to greet. And so it's really like this endless shout out that he's giving to all these different people. And within that list, he says this in Romans 16, verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. So maybe he's a fellow believer, but also his mother. So greet Rufus's mother, who has been a mother to me as well. That's what Paul says. The great apostle Paul, missionary Paul, the reason why he is talking so highly of, 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 of women and widows, especially in this chapter, is because he himself was influenced with, by, by different women. Like He's saying that there's a, I have a spiritual mom who cared for me, who loved me, so greet Rufus's mom because she loved on me. Although she's not my, bio, not my biological mom, she's someone who had a, an impact on my life. In the same way, I think we can have an impact on other people's lives within the context of a family. But also notice that not only do you have a mixed group of people within the family of God, there's a specific way that we ought to address one another. That's kind of the main thing that Paul is addressing in verse 1 and 2. When you talk to one another, it says in verse 1, especially if you are talking to someone who's older than you, who's old in age, don't be arrogant, don't be rude, when you have something to say, don't rebuke the older person. Encourage the older person as a father. So talk to an older person as a father and then to an older um, woman as your mother. In other words, you talk with respect. We, we, you talk with control. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree with this person. It doesn't mean that you can't voice your opinion. It simply means that when you do, do so, you have to do it with gentleness, with care, knowing that that person is well advanced in years and they might have something better to say. And so you approach them with respect. For someone who is younger than you, it says, treat this person like a brother. Not as a child, not as a slave, but treat this person as a brother. And this, again, implies the idea of honor, right? Because um, if someone is really younger than you, but yet you treat them as a brother and sister in Christ, that you're showing respect to that person. You're saying that I believe that you are mature. I believe that, that you are more than equipped to think biblically, to, to live a godly life. So I want the best from you. And so you treat one another, especially if someone's younger than you, you treat one another as a brother and sister in Christ. And I love the detail that Paul puts in at the end of verse 2. He says, especially, Timothy, when you are talking to women that are younger than you, do it in all purity. That's what he says. If you look at the Greek, that, that phrase, all purity, it only applies to the, the, the young women that are supposed to be considered as sisters. And so what Paul is saying is this, Timothy, you are a young pastor, and when you are relating to young women, I want you to remember that you have to check your heart. You have to examine your heart to see if you are pure in your intentions, that you have to treat them with honor and respect. And I think this, is, this, this, has, this, this has so many implications in our relationships, especially within the church. It means that especially when you are connecting with someone of the opposite gender, like it is probably a good way of thinking to think, okay, I'm treating someone as a brother and sister. So um, a lot of people, especially um, people on the younger side, they ask me the question, how far can you go uh, in dating or in relationships? I think that's, that's, that's an important question, right? 
And I'll say this. I mean, obviously, there's, there's so many ways that you can answer that question. But one way I try to answer this question is this. Well, the Bible clearly says, uh, if you are married, then that person is your wife or that person is your husband. So you can love that person all you want. Before marriage, that person is your brother or sister in Christ. So uh, just think of this. Don't do anything that you wouldn't do with your brother and sister. Like, it's, it's as simple as that. Like, as a married man, I would never approach a woman and try to do something that I would not do to my brother or sister. Like, I personally don't kiss my sister. I have a younger sister, and therefore, I wouldn't go out and, and, and do that. That would be really, really strange and weird. And so in the same way, if someone is not really like your husband or wife, what the Bible tells you is that treat that person with respect, with honor. Like, remembering that that person is not just a person that, that is there existing to fulfill your deepest loneliness and your desires, but that person exists as a brother or sister in Christ. Now, if God allows you to have an opportunity to enter into the covenant of marriage, that's when you love one another. You cherish one another. You, 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 you are able to make one another feel special in every different ways, but until then, the Bible tells us just treat one another as brothers and sisters. This also means that we have to look out for each other. If you see a friend or, uh, you know, someone within the church and they are heading into a bad relationship, you got to speak up. You got to let that person know. I remember last uh, summer, I had an opportunity to go to Korea. I have a younger sister. Um, I hope this will be edited later, but uh, I <laughs> she's, she's, she's been dating someone, and for the first time, I met this person. And... And, and we were at a restaurant, we, we sat down, I, I gave that man the stare, right? I, I, like, all these different questions, it was harder than a membership interview, right? I was asking about his background, asking about his, like, theology, like, what his personal goals are and everything. Why? Because I care about my sister. And I don't, I don't want my sister to marry a jerk. So, like, I want to protect my sister in the same way, protect one another, care for one another, like, it's not someone else's business. If you are part of the family of God, your business is my business. Like, we have to love one another in a certain way. So the family of God, it's, it's the church of God, and so within the church, we ought to relate to one another in honor as a family. So that's the first thing that we see. We treat one another as family with honor. But starting from verse 3, things get really, really interesting because up to this point, the letter of Timothy was fairly quick. It's short, it's brief, and so it's jumping from topic to topic, but, but for half a chapter, for about 13 verses, Paul talks about the issue of widows. Why? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but the issue of widows was a big deal. Even in the Old Testament, constantly God tells his people, make sure you take care of the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the sojourners. Because those are the people who are easily neglected in society. Those are the people who, if they don't have help from outside, a lot of times they're taking advantage of, and so you should care for them. Instead of abusing them, instead of neglecting them, that you should watch over them. So that's a constant command that was given to God's people. And that carried on into the New Testament. I mean, why was the office of the deacons formed in the early church in Acts 6? It was because there was issue with widows. It's because within the church, there were widows who were speaking in Greek, and no one was taking care of these widows. And so the church comes together. The apostles gather together, and they discuss what should we do, and they decide to select seven godly men to take care of this practical issue. And that's how you have the office of deacons. And so widows 
it's, it's a big deal within the context of a church. And so it says in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows, who are truly widows, who have lost their husband and they don't have anywhere to lean on, that, that they don't have any care or support, that they're struggling in their life. Watch over these people. So who is a tr- widow who's, who's truly a widow? Um, I think the Bible explains that a little bit more. In verse 4, it says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So that's really interesting. So there's a clear command to the local church to honor the widows who are truly widows. At the same time, the Bible says, well, if a widow has family, children or grandchildren that are capable of taking care of them, then it should be the family that, that, that takes care of the widow, that the family should be the primary line of defense when it comes to the well-being of a widow. And so what we see is, as much as we treat one another as family in the local church, this does not mean that we neglect our earthly family. Just because we have a family in, in Christ does not mean we neglect our earthly family. We honor our earthly family as well. No, it seems like the early church, because they were so focused on taking care of the widow, some people were taking advantage of the system. Some people were, were, were receiving care and support, even though they had family members who were more than capable of taking care of them. Some families were pushing widows to the church and saying, hey, the church should take care of them. We're too busy. We have too much stuff going on in our life. And so knowing this reality, Paul is speaking to Timothy, hey, the family is responsible. The earthly family is primarily responsible to take care of the widows. He explains that this is pleasing in the sight of God, that this is honoring to the Lord. We see that in the Ten Commandments that we are called to honor our father and mother, and that doesn't mean that we just listen to them when we're young. It also means that we take care of them when they get old. When they are aging, we don't abandon them, especially when they're not able to work and they're not able to support themselves, but we return our love uh, to them, the love that we have received back to them to honor them. So to honor your father and mother is, is a lifelong command. It might look different uh, in different life stages, but one thing that is very clear in the Bible is you don't neglect your aging parents. Supporting, caring for your earthly parents is something that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And it also says that when you do this, you're returning something to your parents. You're, you're making some return to your parents. And that's an interesting phrase. What that means is you have received so much from your parents, and therefore when you are honoring your parents, especially when they're old in age and when they uh, lose a spouse and they're in need for support, when you do that, you're giving back the favor. That's what it's saying, but some of the favor. And some of you might think, well, I had a terrible childhood. My parents did nothing for me. Yeah, it could be true that you don't have the best parents. Your parents are not perfect. But I want to let you know, if you are breathing today, alive today, you have parents who made a sacrifice for you. Even before you were born, for 10 months, your mom carried you in the womb. And for 10 months, you were were taking the life out of her. Like every nutrition that you can get, like you're, you're, you're taking it basically from her. Her body is changing. Like, her body's never the same, by the way, after she gives birth to you. And you think that's the easy part, but after that, every two to three hours, you're crying out for, 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 for milk. 
that you're hungry, and so for the first four to six months, your mom did not get more than three hours of sleep at a time. Did you know that? Not only that, you go through about five diapers a day on average for the first two years, and if you do the math, someone changed your diapers 4,000 times. And so just think about that. I'm not even talking about like the next years on which all they're investing. It says, according to statistics, it takes about a quarter million to raise a child up to the age of 18. That's average. In other words, if they didn't have you, they have a house. Right? You might be wondering, why, why are my parents so poor? Well, it's because a lot of the money, it's going into you. I mean, obviously, I'm talking in a very extreme way, but the truth is every parent made a sacrifice for you. And so we have a responsibility to honor our parents, even if they're not perfect, even if they might have hurt, hurt us. Another reason why you should take this command seriously, and I've mentioned this before in the past, but it says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. So when a child or a grandchild is taking care of their parents or their grandparents, it is a display of godliness to their own household. In other words, when you are taking care of your parents, you are sending a message to your children. No, some people say, well, my, I can't stand my parents. Like, I'm going to keep my distance from them. I'm going to neglect them. I don't care if they're, they're here in my life. You know, I'm going to forget about them. You know what's going to happen later in life? What you did to your parents, your children are going to do exactly the same to you. Why? Because that's all they've seen. Maybe they're probably thinking, oh, that's how you treat your parents when they're old in age. Like, they don't matter anymore. And, and if they don't matter anymore, you don't care about them anymore. No. Like, even if your parents were not the most godly parents to you, notice that you can break that pattern, that you can break that cycle of sin. And you make a stance and you say, although my parents have hurt me, there are things that have happened to me, but because of God's grace, I want to honor my parents, although they do not deserve it, and I want my children to know because there will be one day when I do not deserve their grace and their help. And yet they're going to make a decision to honor me in such a way. And so we have to take this seriously, that if we have an earthly family, we have to take care of them. If, you are, if you're wondering if this is like a serious deal or not, look at verse 8. It says this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what the Bible is saying is this. Even unbelievers, through their conscience, through their morality, they know how to take care of their earthly parents. If, if you are a recipient of God's grace, if you are showered with blessings and favor the moment you have received Christ into your life, then how much more should you honor your, your parents? If you have God's clear word to honor your parents, and how much more should you be obedient to this command? It says in verse 16, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So before you rely on anything else, before the government, before the church, notice that you have a God-given responsibility to take care of your earthly family. And I know this looks differently for, from us, uh, from the first century to the 21st century. Uh, uh, there's a big gap, obviously. Uh, we have 401k. Uh, we have Medicare. We have retirement benefits. It's kind of sad, by the way, 
Because uh, what we're saying is we can't trust on our family, therefore we have to prepare for our retirement. That we have to make sure that someone uh, is, is taking care of us like, because there's a real possibility that our family might desert us once we become useless. But still, it's a blessing to have these retirement plans, but also notice just because your parents don't need money doesn't mean that they don't need your care. They might need a friend to talk to. They might need a loving support, even calling them every now and then, visiting them every now and then, just telling them that you appreciate them. That in itself is, is, is such a loving action that we can take towards our earthly parents. So how do we treat one another within the local church? We treat one another with honor as family. We also remember to honor our earthly family as well. And lastly, as a church, we take special care of those who are without family and who are in truly in need. We take special care of those who are without family. Look at verse 3. It says this, honor widows who are truly widows. So who are truly widows? People who don't have family to, to receive support and care. It says in verse 5, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So here's the picture. This woman has lost her, her husband, and she's still trusting in the Lord. She's doing whatever she can to live a life of prayer, to live a life of godliness. And if she's willing to live that type of life, the Bible is telling the church, hey, you need to step up and take care of this person. It says in verse 6, if someone is living in self-indulgence, then you don't have to really worry about that person because that person is dead even while she is living. In other words, if someone is old in age and they have a good retirement plan and they're just enjoying life, they do not fear the Lord, it doesn't mean that we have to go out of the way to help those people. We have to go out of the way to help the people who are wanting to honor God, but yet they're struggling in their personal life. So those who are left alone, and especially in the 21st century, I think this definition of widows kind of gets broadened, right? Uh, back in the first century, the people who were neglected were widows, orphans, because those were people who had no social power. I mean, men, if they went through a divorce, if they lost their, their wife, uh, there were still ways for them to make money, for them to survive, for them to support themselves. Uh, in this case, uh, with widows, there wasn't really any line of defense. And so the Bible tells the church to step up and provide that line of defense. But in our day, current culture, maybe it could be orphans, foster children, um, it could be different places. Maybe someone didn't lose their husband by, uh, by death, but through divorce in an ungodly way, and they're struggling to really walk in faithfulness. With those people, especially with the single moms, what the Bible is teaching us is that we need to care for them, that we need to support them, that we need to be a family for them. Like people who are coming from broken families, especially if they're, they're, they're not coming from a Christian family, we need to teach them and show them what it's like to be in a godly family, even if we're not connected biologically. And so we, we care of those who are really in need, who are really um, without family. It says in verse 9, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And this is a very controversial passage because it almost sounds like, man, the bar is so high in order to be enlisted, um, to be enrolled into the list of widows. But Scholars kind of debate over this. Some people say this is the qualifications for you to receive care from the church. I personally disagree with that. I personally 
believe that you know, the care is kind of separate from the serving aspect uh, because we know that there was a special role for widows in the early church as well. They were prayer warriors. And so you look at um, Luke chapter 2. There is a woman named um, Anna. And when Jesus appears at the temple at, as a, at a young age, it says that uh, Anna, who lived with her husband for seven years, she was a widow until she was 84. So she lived without a husband for a long time. It says she did not depart from the temple. She lived daily at the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And when she saw Jesus, she was the one who spread the news that this is the guy who's going to save us. This is the guy who's going to redeem us. So there's a special role that a widow has to play within the local church. And this is so encouraging because not only were widows neglected when it comes to support, widows were neglected when it comes to service. People were looking down on widows and they were saying, you have nothing to offer to this church. You can't do anything. And it's the Bible. It's Jesus who says, no, widows have a significant role. Even the parable about persistent prayer is about a widow who's constantly asking. And so we see that there's a special place for widows, especially how they can serve within the church, but also notice that in order for you to really be able to serve as a widow within the local church, there are some qualifications, especially for people who are younger. Uh, Paul encourages them, rather than committing themselves fully to the church, get married again, it says in verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from church, they, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So Paul is not simply talking down on uh, young widows. What he's saying is it's really, really hard to live a life as a widow and remain faithful to God. So if you have an option to get married and also form a happy family to live, your, live out your faith in that way, do so. Like especially if you're divorced or if, 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 if you didn't lose, uh, if, if, if you lost your husband uh, from death, like you have that option. That's, that's not unbiblical. But also know that there's great temptation, especially when you are living a, a life as, as a single widow. And so the Bible is encouraging you to live a, a life of holiness, whether married or married. And so you have the option to devote yourself to the church. You also have an option to pursue marriage and also live out your, your faith in such a way. So how do we apply a text like this? That was a lot of information. I just want to highlight this one thing from that passage about the widows. I want everyone to know that you are never neglected and alone in the eyes of God. Like the people who are neglected in society are not neglected by God. Know that you are not alone. Some people here in this room are feeling really, really lonely, and you feel like there's no one that you can talk to, no, that, no one that knows what you're going through. You can't connect with anyone. Your earthly family is, is a mess. Like you've been, you've been hurt, you've been scarred, and, and that's why you, you're afraid to open up within the context of the local church. Like, I just want to read a verse from Psalm 68, 5. This is what God says about himself. I am a father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Even if no one else cares, I care. And he says, therefore, my people should care. And that's why God is inviting his church to live a life that's all about the family, but especially taking care of those without family. You think about what Jesus did on the cross as he is dying, literally dying on the cross. He's bleeding. He's out of air. But at that moment, he sees his earthly mom, and he knows she's going to become a widow. And so what she's, he, he says to her is, woman, right next to you is my disciple. Now he's your son. 
and he speaks to the disciple right next to his mom and says, hey, this is your mom today. Like, make sure you take care of her. So we see that on the cross, God, he establishes this new idea of family. He doesn't neglect the earthly family, that relationship, but what it says is you have an extended family in God. If God is your father, you have a bunch of brothers and sisters, and we have to act in a certain way. It'll be sad if you come home and you don't speak a single word at home and you leave the house. And so many people are doing that when they come to the house of the Lord. Let's talk to each other. Let's care for each other. Let's open up trusting that we have a good God who's willing to love and care for those who are neglected. Trust not in people, but in the Lord. And as we are taking care of our earthly family, let's also step up and love our godly family. Amen? Let's pray.